Okay. Cool. Technology is great until it doesn't work. <laughs> All right. Faltering faith. First Samuel twenty-seven. I love soccer, so when I think of a champion, my mind immediately jumps to the World Cup. And as my mind jumps to the World Cup, I think of the team that has won the most World Cup titles, and that is Brazil. It's not the United States. We haven't won any. Brazil has five. We have zero. A couple of nations have four. And so my mind immediately goes to Brazil. And so in 2014, when Brazil was hosting the World Cup, I thought Brazil is definitely going to take this title home. I mean, how could they not take this title home when all the games are played on their home turf? They have their fans all surrounding them, cheering them on, and Brazilians love soccer. And Brazil did extremely well up until the semifinal game against Germany. And as that game progressed, it became quite painfully obvious to anybody that desired Brazil to win that Brazil would not be going away with a championship. Why? Because Germany had scored seven goals and Brazil had scored one. And in fact, Germans sometimes still celebrate their victory by selling packages of brats in seven and one hot dog. And I mean, like, just rub it in, right? But we look at that and like, how did that mighty champion fall? How did they, how did they do that? How did they just completely lose themselves in one 90-minute period and fall such in an epic fashion on home soil? How does a great warrior who's, who's a great soldier, who everybody loves, go into battle and die? How does that pastor, how does that Christian leader, how does that school teacher that you know go through life and care for so many people spiritually and then end up committing suicide or end up needing to leave their ministry because of some sort of moral failure. How does it happen? And it's because of faltering faith. When your faith wavers, when my faith wavers, it leads to sin, and sin, when it is fully finished, brings forth death. And that is what this story is really about. It's about when our faith falters, believers are in increased danger of sinning. If you would take your Bibles and let's read through 1 Samuel 27 through the first two verses of 1 Samuel 28. Verse 1, And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the six hundred men 
who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with his household, and David with his two wives, and Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail the Carmelites, just Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Verse 5. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servants dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziglag that day. Therefore Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old. As you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt, whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the ox, and the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeharamalites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. And David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore he will be my servant forever. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the sobering reminder of the danger there is when we fail to live by faith in obedience to you. We pray that as we meditate upon what your servant David went through and his own failures, that it would help us to see our own failures, our own, our own ability to look at a situation and fail to walk by faith. And that as we see those areas, that we would be willing to come before you boldly and immediately and seek your forgiveness and seek to return to a walk of faith and obedience to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Great faith may falter. That's really what the first four verses are all about. David loses his focus. David loses his aim. It's amazing as we've as we've walked with David over the course of these past six, eleven, twelve chapters or so, we have grown to love David. We have grown to look up to David as somebody who walks by faith, who is a man who pursues after God's own heart and wants to serve God with his whole being. And he's a, he's a marked contrast between Saul who pursues his own objectives, who makes altars to serve himself, who makes memorials for himself, who doesn't follow God in obedience. 
And we've, we've seen many people come and tell David or remind David of God's plan for him. In chapter 16, David learns that he is going to be the anointed king. And we find out why. David's going to be the anointed king because he is someone who follows after God's heart. And even Saul sees it and he acknowledges that David is remarkably different from him. And he says, my heart has grown attached to this young man. In chapter 17, we saw David live in an amazing way, in a big trial of life. He looks to God and he says, the Lord will deliver me from this Philistine. Why? Because God doesn't need swords and clubs to fight with. Rather, God can deliver me just with this sling and with this stone. And David has continued to live by faith. Yes, he's had moments where he hasn't, but overall he's lived by faith. Overall, people have been continuously affirming him and telling him God is going to fulfill what he has said. And David lives in faith. He believes those promises. And because he believes those promises, he's able to face immense trials. Somebody is perpetually seeking his life, and he chooses to live by faith. Look at chapter 23, verse 17. What is David told by Jonathan? This is the heir apparent telling God's chosen heir, Hey, look, God's going to take care of you. Verse 17, and and he said to him, this is Jonathan speaking to David, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. Saul even knows that. You're going to be king, David. Keep living by faith. And David does. In chapter 25, David is beginning to not live by faith. And what happens? Abigail comes to David and she teaches him and reminds him who God is and tells him, don't lean on your own understanding. Continue to live by faith. Continue to pursue after God's heart with your entire being, David. In chapter 25, verses 30 and 31, you see that. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, or offensive heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. When the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Abigail says, God has a plan for you, David. Continue to live by faith. In chapter 24 and chapter 26, David had the opportunity to kill the man who has been pursuing him and seeking his life. And in chapter 24, verse 20, what does Saul tell David? This is the man who is pursuing his life. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Chapter 26, verse 25, very similar idea from the mouth of Saul. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. 
That's the very end of chapter 26. David's living by faith, and he is told, continue doing that by the man who's coming to kill him in chapter 26. Look at chapter 26, verse 10. Just feel David's heart. What is David trusting? What is David believing? In chapter 26, verse 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him. Who? Saul. Or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. And because of that, I'm not going to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. I'm going to choose to live by faith. That has been David's focus. That's this theological understanding that God is just and that God will do what he has promised is what has enabled David to live a life of faith. And at the very beginning of chapter 27, David has lost his focus. Where is David's focus? Look at chapter 27, verse 1. It's immensely sad. Now I shall perish. It's very self-searching as well. Notice the numerous first-person pronouns. I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Remember, he's tried this before. How did it go last time? Not very well. And God had to send a prophet to him, right? When he tried going to the Philistines, that didn't work. So he went to the Moabites, and that didn't work. And God sends a prophet to him, Gad. And Gad comes and tells him, go back to Judah. You're supposed to be king of Israel. Go back to the place where you're supposed to be. But he's forgotten all of God's promises. He's forgotten that God is a just God who has cared for him up to this point and has made promises to him. And because his faith has faltered, as faith isn't focused on who God is and what God has promised, he's going to begin to make some very foolish decisions. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. What is he trusting in? What is he depending upon? His own wisdom of the protection that the Philistines can provide. This from the man who has numerous times said, I trust God to deliver me from the Philistines and deliver them into my hand, and I will conquer them because of who my God is. <laughs> and at this point in his life, he loses his focus on who God is, and he says, I'm going to turn to those people for my protection. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop trusting God. I've got this, God. Take a back seat. I'll deal with this situation. I'll deal with this trial. And once we get through this situation and Saul dies, I'll begin to live by faith and trust you once more. It's a scary position. It's a very sad position that we find our champion, our hero, in. But it doesn't stop there, does it? He doesn't just simply say, I'm going to lose my focus, I'm going to trust my own ability, and I'm going to trust the Philistines to deliver me. 
No, he, he enters there, and what does he do? He pledges himself to Achish, king of Gath. He goes and he pledges himself to Achish, king of Gath, and he dwells there with his entire family. And what does Saul do? Saul hears about it, and he calls off the hunt for David. Lest you and I think that <coughs> this is an old story that happened numerous thousands of years ago and it doesn't really apply to me, the same thing is true about you and I. You and I are not immune from the temptation to falter. We tell ourselves all sorts of things that are untrue about who God is and about how God wants me to relate to him. We begin to convince ourselves that it's just one little thought. It's just one little statement that isn't completely accurate about the character and the requirements that God has on my life. And it's not really that big of a deal. You know, I, I'm, I'm probably immune to it anyways because, I mean, look at my past life. I've, I've lived a great life of faith. That was what David to look back at. Chapter 16, awesome man of faith. God chooses him to be king because of it. Chapter 17, everybody else is shaking in fear in front of Goliath of Gath. And what does David say? God's going to take care of the situation. I can trust God. I don't need your armor, King Saul. And so on and so forth. We see David as a, as a great man of faith. But that did not protect him from the danger that comes with a slight <coughs> misrepresentation of God's character and God's person. Some people right now are really anticipating a vaccine coming that will save us all from the coronavirus, right? And, and they think that that will be the end-all, cure-all, and then we won't have to wear masks. We'll be able to sit closer than six feet together, and um, we won't have to worry about washing our hands ever again again, right? And all that type of stuff. You laugh, but some of you would have bought all the soap. I don't know who, but... <laughs> there wasn't soap for a while, okay? Um, but that won't work. There is no immunization card for continually walking by faith. There's nothing that you can get and you go, you know, I, I did this in my past, so this little thought is okay. So this glance of lust, looking at somebody else's car, looking at somebody else's job, job is okay. This theological idea that I hold about who God is, is okay. You are not immune. David's great faith faltered. And it started with a really small, not really, but it seems small, David didn't look at this and go, this is a huge change in my theological view of God. You know, I'm, I'm going to rewrite my theolo theology books, right? No. 
you would have looked at it in the moment and said, this is a momentary, small little thing. This will preserve my life. How does your thinking need to change? How do your actions need to change? Where are you, in your thinking or in your actions, in danger of faltering as you walk in obedience and faithfulness to the Lord? The song that we just sang right before I preached says, No fear in death, no fear in life. This is the power of Christ in me. And it's easy for us to sing it. Well, what are you afraid of that's causing you to not trust in Christ? Maybe it's death. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your desires. But you and I are just simply one little thought that's where it begins, away from faltering in our faith. And none of us are immune. But the story goes on. Faltering faith brings forth sin. The thought doesn't stay as just a thought. It's not like David has this little thought and he goes, you know, oh me, oh my, um, if I stay here, and Saul continues this craziness, he's going to one of these days actually catch me. And he's going to kill me. And then I'm going to be dead. And goodbye, farewell, so long, farewell to all God's plans for my life. I'm going to have been a wandering um, traitor to Saul in the desert all these years. <sighs> God, I don't have to think about that anymore. I'm going to choose to trust God. That's not where it stops. Look at verse 5. Notice who David is now serving. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? This from the man who is God's chosen servant, this from the man who has promised to serve God, who has called himself the servant of God, this is from the man who has called himself the servant of King Saul, as recently as last chapter. Last chapter. And God miraculously delivers him out of Saul's hand. And the very next chapter, that one little thought that he had has led him now to declaring that he is now the servant of God's enemies. And it moves on. David claims to be attacking his, and more importantly, God's people. Look as the story progresses in verses 8 and following. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And Achish would say, 
Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, Israel. Or against the southern area of the Jehermalites. I don't know. Or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. David is living a lie. David is not actually attacking the Israelites, but that's what he's saying he's doing. He's living a lie. But unfortunately, Achish believes that David is abhorrent to Israel, and David is enlisted in the Philistine army to fight Israel. He's been claiming that he's been going on raids, and he's bringing back all this booty. And... Achish looks at the situation in the very first verses of chapter 28 and he says You assuredly know that you'll go out with me to battle you and your man your men And now David's in a real pickle isn't he? But you, you know Achish I haven't really been going and fighting Israel I've actually been going and fighting you know some of my own enemies But he can't tell them that right he's gonna get killed there he is in enemy territory. So he's forced to continue living the lie. And so what does he say? He's like, oh yeah, you know I mean? Me and my guys, you, you know, you've seen what we've brought back. I mean, just imagine what we could do if you took us actually into battle. Just, aren't we great? That's what he's saying. Look at verse 2. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. I mean... Yeah, just sign us up. I mean, you got to imagine that David's heart about this point is just like, boom, 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 like, oh, no. How am I going to get myself out of this situation? Because if I actually go and fight against Israel, um, then I'm in a real pickle. Because I'm supposed to be their king in the future. And if I'm killing their men, they probably won't want me to be their king. And yet I have to agree to this because... If I don't agree to this, I'm in enemy territory. And is it interesting what happens? Achish responds, and Achish said to David, Therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. It's like, yes, I'm going to promote you. No longer will you live in the outskirts in Ziglag, you know, where you can go do whatever you want. I'm going to bring you in after you prove yourself, David. And you're going to be one of my chief guardians. And everybody in Gath is going to know just how great you are. What happens? The story breaks. The story isn't really done. But the author of Samuel pauses the story. Why? I think the author of Samuel wants you and I to sit on the edge of our seats going, what is going to happen with this guy who has failed to walk by faith? He's going to pause and he's going to tell the story of Saul going and finding the 
the lady that springs up Samuel from the grave, and then he's going to return to the story. I think the idea is you and I are supposed to sit on the edge of our seats saying, what's going to happen to God's servants? Where will that little thought that he had in the very beginning of chapter 27 lead him to? Will David also be disqualified from being king because of his own sin? Will God find a way to graciously restore David and allow him to once again return to a place where he walks by faith and in obedience to God? I think that's what he's doing. The story's put on pause. And you're going to have to wait till August. Or you're going to have to read. You know, I mean, you can't read. Some of you are like, read? What's that? I haven't done that since high school. <laughs> All right? The story's from pause. And I think it is to help us also have time to sit down and to contemplate our own lives. And for us to think about those areas in our lives, those thoughts that we have, that maybe we haven't voiced. Or maybe those thoughts that we voiced as we're in the car and we're driving someplace and nobody else hears. Or maybe those little actions and those, those things that we do when nobody else really sees what's going on. I think the pause in the story allows us to have time to sit back and say, what's going to happen to David with this small act of faithlessness but it's not enough if we just simply say what's going to happen to David in his small act of faithlessness I think we have to take the next step and say what's going to happen to me in my small act of faithlessness I think that's why the story pauses because the story starts right back up in chapter 29 but for now it's paused there's a break and he goes off and he tells another story. And you and I sit here with a question hanging. What are you going to do with your failures to live by faith? Are you meditating on God's word? Are you demonstrating that you believe in Jesus Christ? That you believe that he is in control of this world and its events? By going to him regularly in prayer? <clears throat> Are you living in obedience to the commands and the instructions that you've seen in his word? Are you taking regular time to magnify and to glorify Jesus Christ and the Father for the great mercy that they have shown you? Through, yes, Jesus' death, but also through the mercy that you have received over the course of this month. <coughs> Do your actions in private and your actions in public. Do you are living 
in obedience to God's word. I think that's what the pause is there for. It gives us time to step back and say, what about David? And more importantly, what about me? James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15 warns us of the danger of a faltering faith. It's easy for you and I to start sinning in some way or to begin thinking about sin. It's easy for us to say it's not that big of a deal. It's never where it ends. If we allow it to continue, it will lead us to the same place that David finds himself in. He's sinning. He's not living by faith. He's not living in obedience. Faith falters bringing sin, and sin will bring death. How do we live out these truths? How do I live in relationship to this story? I've already told you, I don't think the story's done. God's going to work in a very gracious and merciful way in David's life. God's going to save him from doing something that I believe would ruin his opportunities to be king. I believe that's how close David is to losing the throne. But God graciously steps into David's life in the future chapters, and he is going to provide a means by which David can return to a place where he lives by faith. You know what? The God of David is the same God that we serve today. And so, be warned, you are not immune from the temptation It goes down. That's not really how it works with your Christian life. Just because you've gone up and down in the past doesn't guarantee you that you will continue to sin. You're not immune from the ability to have your faith falter. You and I desperately need to walk in faith. And for some of you, that might look drastically different than for others of you. Some of you know who you are. You know that you are a human, that you have sinned, that your sin separates you from a holy God. And there is nothing that you could do in and of your own ability 
There is no money you could give to any religious organization. There is no sum of money that you could give to works of humanity. There is not enough good works that you could do to ever earn God's happiness with you. And because you've realized that, you've realized that it's only through Jesus Christ's finished work that you are able to be reconciled to God. Because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. He came, he lived a perfect, sinless life, qualifying him to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Others of you don't know that truth. And you haven't believed that truth. And so you know that you've sinned in the past. You know that sin separates. That's not a hard concept. When you get mad at your sister or your brother, that separates you from them, right? It's an easy concept. When you yell at your spouse, you're separated from your spouse. That closeness, that, that love isn't there as close. And something has to happen to allow you to receive forgiveness and to once again be reconciled. If you go in and yell at your boss and tell him what you really think, that alienates you from your boss. And something's going to have to happen for you to be reconciled. And it's not your boss that has to do it. Same thing is true. And you're desperately looking for something that can There's not enough gifts that you can give. It is only through Jesus Christ's He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross so that you can place your faith in his finished work saying, I am a sinner. I stand condemned. You're my only hope. I choose to trust you. And for you, what it means is you desperately need that message. You desperately need to turn from your own self-reliance and place your faith in Christ. Faithlessness will take you further than you thought possible. I don't think there's any thoughts in David's mind in chapter 27, verse 1, where he begins to have these ideas. Woe is me. I'm going to die. Saul's going to kill me. There's nothing better for me to do than to go to the Philistines. I've already tried that. It didn't work. And find security and hope in the enemy of God. But that's where he ends up. And he goes even further and he, he says, I'm going to be your loyal servant. And at the end of chapter, or at the beginning of chapter 28, what's happening? He's getting ready to actually go and physically fight for the Philistines. David never got up that morning of chapter 27, verse 1, and thought, you know, one of these days I'm going to be offered the ability to be the chief bodyguard for the king of Gath. That, that wasn't part of his thought process. And it's not part of your thought process when you choose to not walk by faith either. 
God is willing to forgive and restore those who ask. The story leaves us on the edge of our seats. Like, what's going to happen? Is he going to... Is he going to fight the Israelites? Is he going to be denied the kingdom too? Are we going to have to go through all this again and find a new person to anoint? And ah, What's going to happen? God's going to graciously allow him to be restored to walk by faith. If you're sitting here and you're like, you know, the things I've done, the things I've thought, the things I've said, I'm just not sure if God would allow me to be restored, to be reconciled to him, he will. Let's go to the Lord for the word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is truthful, and that it is relevant and necessary for our lives. We pray that we would seek to live lives of obedience and faith this coming week. In your name we pray.